Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Good morning, church family. How are we all doing on this foggy Sunday morning? First hour seemed a little bit, a little, a little tired maybe. You guys all right? Are we, we need to do a quick jumping jack? Are we good? Ready to get into God's word? All right. We, uh, the fall break kicking off is a good thing for many of us. The, uh, hope it's, and good to see some college students back with us. Welcome to you guys. We had, as a family, I'm, pardon the, uh, there may be overflow of joy in my heart as last uh, night our son received a gift of gifts in a wife, beautiful wife, and our family, a new daughter in Laura Johnson, and celebrating their life and, and uh, what God has given them was just a, such a special moment. It reminded me of um, to say thank you to you as a church family for loving them. And Chad and Laura love the church, and um, you have poured into them since they were young. And so thank you for your, your impact in their lives. I was also reminded this morning, this summer we had a series planned called Sacred Pathways that we scrapped in, light of, in view of COVID to hit some other things. But the idea of God has given us some unique, uh, a sacred pathway meaning unique ways to connect with him and worship him and express our love to him, but also feel his love towards us. And one of those pathways we were going to talk about, which we'll hopefully do that series in the future, is memory. And yesterday for our family was a a beautiful day that we will never forget. And it was a day of worship. But is that just gone? And the answer is no. That's a memory that now we can, we took pictures of it, you can write it in your journal, and any moment in our future, we can go back to that moment via memory and kneel and worship again. And God uh, calls his people to this as he does the feast and the festivals and those types of things, and you think, what a gift God has given us, a sacred pathway of memory, remembering his goodness, and then going back to those moments. So there's one, uh, hopefully a Maybe this week you have a moment with him or a fall break or whatever that may be, but our God is good, isn't he? Serve a great God. All right. Well, today our text, last week our text started with a a groan, and it was Genesis 3 and the uh, fall, and sin enters the picture, and it was just that groan. Today's text enters, we, we could begin it with an awe, and it's the awe of when you see a new baby or hold a new baby as we watch a family form. And it's a great moment, but that moment morphs into a really hard moment that for us, the the topic we're going to look at today is one of those that we don't like to go into, but it's so important, and it's how do we follow Jesus in the realm of interpersonal conflict? We live in a world where conflict breaks out. It breaks out in our families. It breaks out around us at work, and then culturally, we feel the divisiveness going on and, and just the conflict around us. So what's it look like? And what we're going to be, our text today will equip us to follow Jesus in a world that's in in war or a world we we could call it in the fight. So if you would join me in Genesis chapter 4 and we will begin there. Verse 1, it says, Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And Cain literally means 
Here he is. So you can feel the hope like a new human, and maybe this will be the answer to the sin problem, um, the Messiah coming. And so it says she, she said this, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And that birth moment, I know those of you who've had children, it's a worship moment, isn't it? Where you're just like, how did this happen? Only God. And it's a, but it's also husband and wife have a part in it and mom and she's that you can just feel the joy of that moment and and then the family grows it says later she gave birth to his brother Abel and there you feel that there's the joy of a flourishing family and you know when you add a personality at the table that the family just gets all the more fun at dinner time doesn't it and it's a new personality a new reflection of God's glory and just um the conversation changes and the, uh, the community changes and family grows. It's a happy, happy moment here. Well, Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. So here we see these boys get a, become of age where they can help out and they step into the joy of work. And they know the sweat of work, but also the joy of doing it. And then it says, in the course of time. So this is where you just fast forward. These boys are growing up. Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord and Abel brought an offering of fat portions from the firstborn some of the firstborn of his flock and here you you just picture Adam and Eve mom and dad watching their boys go to love God and what a joy that must have been for them they didn't have a Bible they didn't need a Bible because Adam and Eve you think about how well Adam and Eve knew God they knew him intimately pre-sin. And they told their boys about him. This is who God is. And yes, sin entainted their love, but they knew him in an, a, a way that um, even none of us knew. And Cain and Abel knew that so that they knew everything we have is his. And they knew the joy of worship, taking some of what they had for Cain, grain, for Abel, his uh, livestock, and offering those to God. In, in worship, and that God would be pleased with that, and this relation, love relationship would flourish. But then something happens, and this is where the scene takes a turn south. As it says, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And we ask, why? So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And then the Lord said, why are you angry? We see God's grace in just going to Cain, confronting him here. And he says, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, and this is really the phrase to circle, sin is crouching at your door. It's like a leopard crouching at your door. It desires to have you, meaning rule over you, dominate you, and destroy you. But you must rule over it, dominate it, kill it or it will kill you. As we come to this scene, it, some questions, the first question is, what, what's going on with the offering thing? Like, why does God accept Abel's offering and not Cain's? What's wrong with that? Some scholars have speculated that it's the type of offering. It's the grain. And, you know, Abel is giving a more valuable livestock versus grain. Probably not. There's nothing in the text to indicate that. And we know later on, God accepts grain offerings in the law of Moses and, and looks on favor, with favor on those. Some have speculated that it's the, uh, the first, 
what the text indicates, Abel gave the first and the best. And maybe Cain's offering was just a mediocre versus the best of what, what God deserved and what God had given him. Again, there's not a lot of evidence in the text other than one is said for one and, and one not for the other. But what do we know as we look at the text and watch this play out? And I think this is the, the biggest clue and really the point of the text, and it's this. God, when we come to worship, God sees what? He hears our songs, he sees our gifts, but what matters most to him? And we see this throughout scripture, it's our heart. It's a heart that's surrendered to him, that's humble before him, that, that loves him, that, that uh, is submitted to his will. And what do we know about Cain's heart? We learn it from his response. It's not a humble heart, it's a pride-filled heart. Because when God corrects him, what's his response? How dare you not accept my offering? And he becomes angry and depression, and depressed. Um, and you can see it on his face. The, uh, we know throughout Scripture, God calls us to, to, uh, to have humble hearts before him. And even as we come to worship, what matters most is our heart. A heart surrendered to his will. Saying, Lord, I've, here's my life. A heart surrendered to, uh, to what he's called us to. And a heart that's quick to confess when, when we're corrected by him and to repent. It's interesting when we watch the, the picture that God gives Cain. And you see the grace in it where God says to Cain, you know, here's, this, here's what's going on. Sin is pride. This pride that, and where worship has become about you, it's crouching at your door, and if you don't master it or rule over it, it will destroy you. And what a gift of correction and God's rebuke to Cain right here, and a, for us as well, because the reality is pride is crouched at the door of our hearts until the day God calls us home, and it's a warning to him. You've got to rule over this and fight the fight of, uh, of the pride that's inside. And so that's really where the tension in the text lies here. What's going to happen? Like, will Cain win this fight? And the leopards at the door, what's going to happen? And, and then we see verse 8. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, and he killed him. It's like, so he's angry at God for not accepting a sacrifice. And what does that play out in? Resentment towards his brother who God accepts, a jealousy, a, a resentment, which turns into murder. And it's one verse that the brevity of it tends to sanitize the verse for us. But you stop and you think about this moment. And uh, this was before guns, before poison or arrows or spears or any of the things that the weapons that we have he used his hands to kill his brother and this was a struggle this was fear in the eyes of Abel and screams and a fight and blood and choking of breath and death and it's crazy to think the first death in humanity was a murder in the first family and a brother killing a brother. It's a horrible scene. I was um, reminded of 
the, uh, this summer our family was sitting out on the back patio and just having one of those wonderful family moments and where, you know, it's a wonderful life and beautiful and the uh, fire was going and it was past 9.30 so I was already in bed. So this is second hand. <laughs> but they stayed out there and they're talking and what have you. And all of a sudden there was a scream from the woods out back. Just this blood-curdling scream, shrieking. And, uh, and then there was a struggle in the leaves and brush and, and it's animal, attacking animal. And then there was the, these groans. And this goes on, and it's just like horrible. Uh, the family, I think, stayed, but I think everyone was like, that totally ruined our moment. <laughs> but is that not life? And how much more horrific the, uh, this moment? And I'll never forget a moment working in Dallas at a bagel shop where Dallas had been, become a hub for the uh, Bosnians who were fleeing the genocide, Milosevic, in the 90s over in Yugoslavia and and uh, a lady who became kind of like a mom to me, her name was Nasa, um, fled here. And she was working. We're standing there at the sink where you wash the lettuce and whatever. And she looked at me and she said, the most dangerous creatures on the planet are humans. And I saw the fear in her eyes and the reality that she had seen her country turn on itself. And genocide um, sweeping through, through her country. And it's the story of humanity but God in his grace confronts Cain. And we see this here in verse 9. He, he comes to him and he says, where is your brother Abel? And Abel lies, I don't know. He replied, am I, am I my brother's keeper? And then the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground which, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wonder, wonder on earth. And I think in this interaction, the Lord with, with Cain, there's comfort for those of us who have experienced evil unleashed and where it was you were doing nothing wrong and yet just experienced somebody jumping you out of envy or resentment or whatever that may have been or just, um, just evil. God, he cares, he sees, he will confront, justice will happen. God calls us to, to let him take care of vengeance if repentance doesn't happen. But even with repentance, there will be consequences. And I think it's a warning to us as we see this leopard of, of pride just jump Cain and own his soul to, should that happen to us, there will be consequences in it. It hits the people who we love the most. Think about Cain going home eventually and having to look at his mom and the shame that must have filled his heart to know he killed her boy. And Eve is losing two boys in this and that he will have to leave home. The curse will take him away. And then to look at his dad and Cain, you know, his name meant here he is and the hope that comes with firstborn, this is my boy. What's he going to do? And now to look at Adam and see nothing but hurt and disappointment and realizing what he'd done to his family. And so Eve takes the family portrait, if you could say, and off the wall because it's too hard to look at it. She puts it in a box, shuts the box, and 
family as they know it's pretty much over, right? No. And this is where we see the God, our God of redemption, of resurrection, and of God of hope is, is on the move, even in this dark moment in the first family. And we see it in the last part of this chapter, verses 25 and 26. Read this way, and Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son, and she named him Seth, saying, God granted me another child in the place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. And here's the phrase to, to remember. At that time, the people began to call on the name of the Lord. The, uh, what do we know about Seth as we look at this text? And what, what's God indicate to us? And Seth and his son Enosh began to call on, on God's name and led others to call on the name of the Lord, meaning that they began to live in humble dependence on God, trusting him and seeking him. And then what else do we know about Seth? This new line. You go to Gen- uh, Luke chapter 338, the genealogy of the Messiah who would come and with his coming would defeat sin and who is second in the line in that genealogy. You can read it on your own. It's Adam and then it's Seth is the line of the Messiah, a picture of hope for us. And then Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth would come and what was his message and what was his life and his example? Abel got jumped for doing no wrong. Abel brought nothing but a good sacrifice and evil jumped him and took his life. How much more, Jesus Christ, living a perfect life and what jumped our Lord? Got on his back and hung him up on a cross. It was pride-infested hearts of the religious leaders. Put him on a cross, game over? No. He came for that very reason to take our sin, die the, the penalty we deserve for our pride in lashing out in pride those moments that the leopard takes ownership of our heart so that we might be forgiven. And then he says to us, and then come follow me, trust me, your sin is forgiven and you receive, those of us who know him by faith, a power to master the leopard, to kill the leopard that would kill us. It's through faith in Jesus Christ alone that we defeat the pride in our own lives. Amen? He is our hope. The, uh, how do we overcome the leopard at the door, the sin within? And it's simply this. It's answering the call of Jesus when he says, follow me, trust in me, believe in me. And, and then following him into the realm of conflict, our relationships, people, evil is all around us. But yet as we follow him, it's with a humble heart rather than having a pride-filled heart like Cain it's with a humble heart and you see this Jesus teaching his disciples guys remember when James and John went to Jesus and said hey we want to sit on your right and left power positions what happened to the the other 10 the text says Mark 10 they were indignant like who Cain why pride I want to be on top kingdom of self I want to be above 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 and that's the source of the conflict and Jesus says Jesus said guys time out huddled them look at me even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many this is the path in Philippians chapter 2 we see we're called to have his same mindset first Peter chapter 5 we'll read the text here 
and this is one text among many, but verse 5, uh, second part of chapter 5, verse 5 says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility, putting others first toward one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace, shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. So here's the calling today. How do we deal with life here in the conflict and in the fight, interpersonal relationships? Jesus is saying, follow me into the fight with a humble heart. The, uh, some implications coming out of this text, here are three. If the three main characters could give us a message, here are the implications. Abel's message would be this, be wise, some people are dangerous. This doesn't mean that we live with fear or with uh, paranoia or suspicion when we meet people or, or when we, we gather in a relationship that we uh, immediately think, okay, when are they going to hurt me? And we struggle to get close to people. But it does mean that we're wise and aware that there is evil at play in the world. And when we see jealousy and selfish ambition and pride infesting someone's heart who's close to us, I, the, the way I put it is, aim a prayer at that, like say, God, would you please help that person to be delivered, and then post a guard. Be careful. And because evil is a reality in this world, and, uh, and not to make light of what Abel went through, but I think if Abel could say a message to us, he would say, hey, if you see pride in someone's eyes and you're close to them and they ask you to go, hey, let's go take a walk in the field, don't go or, or, uh, or invite a police officer or pack a weapon or, or something. It, it's a reminder to us that this is why we have laws and law enforcement and lawyers and weapons and a, a, a military because evil is a reality and we can't just put our head in the sand and, and pretend it, it's not there. So be wise, be alert. This is what Solomon warned his kids about in Proverbs again and again. There are people who are evil, and if you hang out with them or you allow them access into your life, they will hurt you. And the, uh, I imagine David telling uh, Solomon at about that time that he was doing nothing wrong serving Israel. He killed Goliath. He's playing the harp for King Saul, and a spear goes, and uh, he looks around, and it was Saul, the king, eaten up with jealousy at this young up-and-coming leader. And he had to take cover and to be wise and, and get out of there. Think about Joseph. And, you know, a comfort, uh, or Joseph, Daniel's another example. Daniel was doing nothing but the right thing, and he got jumped and ends up in a lion's den. But the comfort there is God is sovereign even when we get hit by evil, and he protected, protected him. He will protect us to the point that, that he wants us protected. It could be he wants to call us home through that, and, and even in that, his grace will be there. But, uh, but God is sovereign, and we can rest in that. But he does call us to be wise. Remember when uh, Paul tells Timothy, watch out for Alexander the metal worker, 2 Timothy 5, and he did me a great deal of harm. He could do you a great deal of harm, so watch out. Be wise. I was thinking back of the, uh, we were thinking through a lot of family moments this weekend, and Chad, being a laid-back kid, when he was about, uh, four or five, Jesse's friends were all two, three. And he super laid back. So when the room was full of Jesse's friends, he was like the living jungle gym. They were jumping on him and piling on him, and he was okay with it. Like, man, that, this kid is patient. But then I saw a danger, and I had to pull him aside and say, Chad, 
you would never like jump off the couch and smash some kid's head at this age but these two and three year olds they're dangerous like you got to keep your head on a swivel one minute they'll, they're winging a block at your your head or they're swinging a bat at your kneecap or this little kid will come off the couch and just body slam your head and so <laughs> watch out for the, the these kids and but so it is in the world right and uh, there are evil is present there is danger and so be wise um, some people are dangerous. That's Abel's message. Cain's message would be this. Sin is crouching at your door. Win the fight. The heart of every problem is a problem of the heart when you look at the world. And what's the main problem of the heart? It's pride. It's a desire to elevate self, to ignore God's will, and um, what would be good for others at the expense or in an effort to elevate self. We tend to identify quickly with Abel in this story, don't we? We think about the moments we've been hurt by others, but the reality is I think most of us, we're most like Cain, right? Our biggest danger is every day. Um, that pride is there that just wants to put me first and at the expense of God's will and the good of others. John, Scott, John Stott, a scholar, said this, in every step of our Christian growth and maturity and through every aspect of our Christian obedience and service, our greatest foe is pride and our greatest ally is humility. Pretty strong statement there, but I think accurate. And Thursday night, we, our elder team gathered and really neat, our Doug Wicker took us through a devotional of this text. And immediately as he starts, I was like, Lord, thank you. And I heard him whisper, John, just listen. You don't have to say anything. Just listen to this group of guys. Um, absorb this text and talk about this text so that they can help prepare you for Sunday. Well, thanks to you, I have the privilege of studying God's word throughout the week. And I had three days studying this text before Doug shared his devotional. So I had a lot of knowledge about this text. So guess what I began to struggle with? throughout Doug's devotional. Can you, anybody imagine it? Man, I'd love to share what I know. And I'd like to say it was to build up these guys, my brothers, and help them. And it, it, isn't that the way with our motives, often mixed? 30% of me was probably around that. But most of me was what? I want to share what I know so I can impress these guys with my knowledge. The knowledge that I have received because they have given me the privilege of studying God's word throughout the week. And Doug got done, and I opened my big mouth and waxed eloquent. And immediately the Holy Spirit convicted me, John, what's the point of this text? Sin, pride, crouching at the door of your heart in God's house surrounded by a band of brothers studying the word of God. And it dropped me. The leopard took me down. And man, you talk about a sobering moment. And right there in the meeting, I pulled my journal out and I wrote a prayer of confession. Father, forgive me. Cleanse me. Control me. I'm sorry. Sin is crouching at the door of our heart. You must master it. And we see this in Cain. Um, the good news is we have hope, don't we? And our hope is in Jesus Christ. And through faith in him, he gives us the power to overcome. One of the takeaways 
for uh, through COVID has been just the danger of being alone, especially as a man and alone with our own thoughts, but, but not having a band of brothers who you're sharing life with and, and protecting each other with. And I don't know if you felt that going through this COVID season, but um, it hit me as a pastor that once we all get back together, we've got to rally our guys and just encourage each other and make sure every brother knows they have a, a unit and that they're not alone. This text describes our inner sin as a leopard or as an animal to, cre- to, to destroy us. First Peter 5 describes our outer enemy, the devil, as a lion as well. And what do lions do? They get there, they run their prey, and then they separate the weakest of the prey out by themselves, tire them out, and then they, while they're alone, they attack and destroy. And so it is for the enemy of our soul. God created us to do life in community. And so we're calling, we have a thing we call fight night. But we picked this fight night, October 23rd. It's a Friday night, open to all guys and praying that every guy in our church would come just to be encouraged and equipped to, uh, to fight this fight. And to, uh, we're gonna, we'll have fun at the start and just grab um, cornhole tournament as well as chili kickoff, but then gather and just encourage each other through God's word and make sure every brother knows you've got a unit, you're not alone, and commit to just um, live, fight the fight, go again knowing that, that we have this enemy within us. So uh, Abel has a message, Cain has a me- message, but then Seth's message is simply this, and it's this message of hope, call for help. And I picture Seth coming into the picture, and he's now an only child, pretty much, Cain's way out here, and at some point he learns the story of his family, which is not good, and, and yet, what's his response? As he thinks about his family and the mess and knows the leopard within him too, it's simply help. And that's the, really the, all the call that we need to, to seek God, help, and then he provides help. What a great encouragement to be praying, to pray for our family, to pray for our own heart, to pray for where we see division in our world. Lord, we just help. And God is faithful to provide the help that we need. And so um, the calling of this day as we uh, set out to do good, set out to follow Jesus into a life of humble, loving service. How do we do that when we're in a world where evil is, is unleashing interpersonal conflict? It's simply this, to hear Jesus say, follow me into the fight with a humble heart. We fix our eyes on him. He's our example. He empowers us. And uh, what would happen if we do that? And it's neat to think, you know, that's the secret to, within marriage, Unity. It's the secret within family to having a, a home that's a little taste of heaven on earth. It's the secret within our teams and with, at work and to have people come into those environments that everybody's trying to get ahead of everybody, but you have somebody who says, nope, I'm following Jesus into this fight with a humble heart. He's glorified and uh, peace on earth happens in those contexts. All right, that's the calling. Let's pray. Father, we... Thank you for your word to us today and just the ways that you uh, not only fill us with hope, but also you check us up in those areas that we need checked up. And just to, to see this gentle but very firm picture that you gave Cain and that you gave us, that sin is crouching at the door of our heart and it desires to have us and we must master it. And 
Lord, I pray for each one of us as we uh, do life this week, that you would just give us the grace to follow you with a humble heart, not to uh, get caught up in protecting ourselves or or, uh, seeking our will and our glory, but rather to seek your glory and, and the good of those around us. And even as you did for us, Jesus, being willing to lay down our life to, uh, to lift those up around us. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the hope we have in you and the, uh, the fact that it's your power that ena- enables us to live this out. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.